Welcome to Finding Hope, The End to Suffering. Hosted by psychologist, author, and co-founder of the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership, Dr. Barry Weinhold, with national radio host, award-winning producer, and inspirational speaker, Patricia Raskin. Hi, Barry. Hi, Patricia. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Finding Hope, The End of Suffering, which you created, beautifully so. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so uh, happy to have you as a co-host because you are, with all your experience, you're able to, I relax when I'm around you because I know... Uh, Thank you. You're going to you're going to know what to do if I don't. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that. Well, you bring on wonderful guests and I think, you know, we we've talked about this a lot of people suffer and a lot of people suffer in silence. Yes. Or if they suffer, they think they're just by themselves. They don't think anybody else is going through it and then they're ashamed of it. And yeah. what the program is doing is bringing that to light, saying you're not alone. We all go through some type of suffering and here are examples and it may not be your example, but it may be something you can relate to that will help you. Yeah. Well, Carl Jung once said that people uh, go through life uh, in such a way that they suffer silently and, uh, and they, they suffer needlessly. And I think I was always, when I studied Jung, I was always struck by that about why did these people suffer needlessly? I mean, gee, you'd think they'd want to get rid of that suffering as quickly as possible, but people don't know how. And so I think our guests are able to show people how to do that. I mean, it, it's not uh, a, a big secret, but uh, mm-hmm. people just never learn that. I mean, it certainly isn't taught in school. <laughs> so uh, how would you learn it? So um, we're hoping our guests can give that message to people and help them see that there are some very practical and easy ways to end any suffering that you might be experiencing so that you don't suffer needlessly. Absolutely. So we're going to bring on our guest. Let's talk to Rafa, Rafa Flores. Uh, We started our uh, interview with him last week and we're going to continue this week. Welcome again, Rafa. Welcome everybody. Yeah. And, uh, why don't we pick it up from last week? Last week, you talked a lot about your family and growing up in South Texas and uh, a family of eight and how that was in in, in that time in your life and how uh, it, uh, it, it meant that everybody had to just pitch in and do their part in the family to make it all work because there was with eight children. It was everyone was on their own, but everyone was also helping each other in that process to make the family work. And then you notice that when you were about 10, that there was a lot of friction between your parents, that at least you became aware of it about that age. And, and then eventually uh, uh, your father left the family. And as a part of the culture that you grew up in, as the oldest male, you were expected to just take over and become sort of like a surrogate spouse. And then you start to talk a little bit about the uh, long-term effects that had on you in relationships and how it uh, made it difficult to know how to operate in an, as equals in a relationship. And, uh, and that, that's like, I'd like to hear more about that. And, uh, let's see, you, you, what, uh, you went through college and then uh, when did you get married? So, um... That didn't happen for many, many years. But um, 
so, you know, how did this affect relationships? So, yeah, um, talk some more about this. At, at, at the time, at the time when I was, um, when I stepped into this role, I mean, there was, it was, there was nothing really different about my life or what I thought was my life at that time. I mean, I was, uh, if some stuff needed to be done around the house, I was uh, the one to, to go get it done. Like, uh, you know, whatever the task was that my mom would say, go do this or do that. Mm -hmm. But where it affected relationship and instead of relationships, when it, what affected was the entire relationship process. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I mean, um, my mom, um, you know, for, for the way she was raised, um, that I don't have, uh, much information on, but, um, you know, there was never, I, I, I'm, I'm sure this was with everybody in my family, but there was never, uh, anybody good enough for her children or good enough for me anyway. And, um, I'll never forget one girlfriend was pleasantly talking to my mom and, um, all of a sudden my mom made a comment and then took this girl aback. And later on she said, Oh my God, what kind of mother says that about their son? I'm shocked. I'm appalled. And I, you know, I didn't know what, what had gone on and she explained it to me, but, um, we broke up shortly thereafter because, you know, she wasn't, uh, going to be a part of that. She, she saw the, the, the train wreck way ahead of, of, of time. She was a smart kid. Um, but there were several pivot points that I had discussed last week about, um, that took place in my life. So, um, this whole relationship dynamic of, of one parent, you know, confiding and asking, you know, what was going on. And then the weight and the burden of those feelings of uh, stress and anxiety and uh, the tension there. And then ultimately my dad leaving the house. Um, during, all, during all of this time, you know, I was doing uh, boy things, guy things. And part of who I was, was a, an equestrian. I was a horseback rider. I loved horses. And one of my dad's dear friends, um, had a ranch close to town and he had a daughter my age and we would always go to their ranch and then go exercise the horses, go work cattle, go do stuff like that. And, um, so in my eighth grade year, uh, a movie had come to be filmed in the, in the, in the Valley, uh, a book by Cleo Dawson, uh, titled she came to the Valley was made into a movie. And so they had auditions for the actors and actresses and what have you, the locals to be cast. And, uh, apparently there was this, uh, a bunch of, uh, people who had, tried to be Benito, the, one of the characters of the story, one of the main characters of the story. And this poor kid 
first day on the horse broke his arm. And uh, so the director was like upset. And so he makes a phone call uh, and he says, can you get me somebody here who can ride a horse? And um, it just so happened to be my friend's dad that uh, they called and said, yeah, you can, my, my daughter can ride a horse. You can, you can have her come into the movie. And the director said, no, I need a, I need a, I need a boy. And so he first thought of me. So I went out to the set, showed up and um, ended up being in a movie at eighth grade. And I, I think I spent almost um, 17, 14, 17 days on set. And afterwards I was going to receive a check. And it was, it was substantial money for a 14 year old. Uh, I mean, I think it's gonna be $1,700 or $2,100 for the, for the time spent on set working with these folks. And my dad just kind of said, cause they had to contact him to um, write the check so they could pass the check on to me, right? And he just kind of said, oh, he doesn't need any money. And I'm like, the hell I don't. I've got, I've got plans for that money. I've got stuff I want to buy, you know, fishing pole this or that and the other, you know, I've got camping, camping equipment that I want to buy, you know, because I was a Boy Scout at the time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so that was, that was my first introduction to not being able to trust anything business-wise with my dad, mm -hmm. um, especially when it involved money and especially when it involved me. And when I shared these different pivot points in men's group, uh, Barry sat back and he said, he reflected and he goes, well, yeah, those are pivot points, but you know what I see? I see that your dad was in direct competition with you. Mm -hmm. Based on what you're saying, you know, your dad should have been very supportive and he should have said, yeah. You welcomed the money and yeah. promoted you. Yeah, because when, when when you just said that, Rafa, I was thinking, why did his father do that? You know, mm -hmm. did he do it because he wanted the money and he wanted you to give it to him? I mean, you didn't you didn't say that. But then I thought, then then why would he why would he discourage you? And that would make sense because he didn't maybe want you to grow because of the competition. I don't know. And Barry Barry had some thoughts on that as, as well, but. Um, and I'll let him talk about talk about that exactly, uh, because he's the one that recognized it and pointed it out. And when he was and when he pointed it out, then all of the teeth lined up on the spoke, and it made sense. Mm -hmm. It came together for me, and then I could start ticking off different uh, events in my life. What came together? What, what was it? The understanding that this wasn't about a lack of love or love or uh, a healthy father son relationship, that this was all about competition. Mm. And, and um, again, I'm sure there was lots in, of love there too. And in between, but it was little pivots things like that um like you first thing you questioned based on your uh 
being raised in your family was, wow, why didn't he give you the money? Why wasn't this uh, an honor? Mm -hmm. And of course, my, my dad didn't, uh, we didn't lack for money. We didn't need any money, mm -hmm. but I, I made my own money. Right. Um, Rafa, did, did he, did this happen with him and your other brothers or the other siblings or just you? As far as I know, just me until my other siblings started to work for my dad oh. later on in life. But as a, as a young man, as a 14 year old, uh, that was, that was the first hit. Mm -hmm. Then the, um, uh, then it had occurred several other times, but it was that hit that I felt determined that if I was going to do anything, I had to make my own money, make it myself mm -hmm. and, um, go get it myself. I wasn't going to ask him for money anymore. Mm -hmm. But Barry, if you would say something about, uh, how you recognize that that was competition. Well, uh, the rest of the story was about, uh, how you got in competition with bosses. Oh yes. Because later on in life, um, uh, I, I again ended up in relationship to different bosses. I was my own boss from, um, essentially 1990 to 2011. Um, and I had to take my first job well, I had plenty of jobs prior to that, right? But I went to work for my dad and my dad uh, on, on a ranch that he had um, acquired. Uh, we acquired 4,000 acres, 4,400 acres in 1990. I went to go work for my dad at that point. And, um, you know, he basically let me uh, run the ranch with um, some direction from him, but mostly it was... Uh, my decisions and he was very happy to let me do it because it was making money. And uh, after that, I had to take jobs with other people and it ended up that there was that confrontation. There was that competition. I wanted to do the job well. And when, uh, but that's not the role of an employee and an, an employee isn't to point out, how to do things better. It's just do what you're told. Well, if doing what I'm told is really bad for the company, why am I going to do it? Well, that gets you fired. And what Barry pointed out is that you are in relationship again to learn the same things over and over yeah, yeah. with each subsequent uh, employer until um, my last employer and I ended up here in Colorado Springs where I was able to meet with Barry on a weekly basis um, in men's group. Yeah. Well, tell about the, the time you, after you, the last time you got fired and you talked and you told ah. that to Janae, I think that's interesting. So um, people know about Janae. Yeah. She's my, my spouse and my uh, professional partner too. Yes. And so Janae, I ran into her, my partner's office and I had explained that um, I had just been fired from my, my most recent job. 
And she throws her arms wide open and she gives me this hug and she says, oh, congratulations, you've graduated. And kaboom, all of my stress just disappeared. Because when she categorized what I was feeling, all that emotion, I mean, we're talking all the way back to my childhood, worth of this kind of uh, emotion tied together. She blows it all away when she says, congratulations, you graduated. Because one of the, one of the foundations of what Barry and Janae talk about with relationships is um, your contract. You have a contract to be with this person. Well, I had a contract to be with my parents. I had a contract to be with each of these employers. And when Janae was able to phrase it as you've graduated, the further explanation is I've learned everything I can learn from these, from this person. And they've learned everything that they can learn from me. So our contract is over. Walk away. Why are you going to continue to carry that baggage mm -hmm. from your past when it no longer serves you? And this is where I would like to get into the point of how these life-changing things have led to where we're going to go next. Yeah, let me just say something. The reason from what I'm getting, the reason that Janae said you've graduated is because you didn't stay in the same pattern because you could have just stayed and gone through the same thing again or chosen something just like it again, but you decided to disrupt the pattern. Yeah, so that was a pattern way. buster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, with with her bringing that to the forefront, yes, it was the, it was the pattern buster, but I would not have been able to hear what she had said unless I had already broken my pride. Yeah, yeah. And my pride was broken in um, 2015. Well, it was broken a little bit before that, but 2015, 2016. And um, if it weren't for a missionary couple who didn't only talk the talk, but they walked in the grace of God. They walked the walk. When I was down, and they didn't just figuratively take me in. They took me in and they gave me a place to stay. Um, they helped me get back on my feet. But for a very prideful man to accept the help, yeah when you're helpless, mm -hmm. but to accept that help from somebody else and to do it graciously, not to do it with anger, but to do it graciously, you have to find that uh, place of, of um, humility. Mm -hmm. You have to find that place of surrender. Yeah, that's and true. that's where your pride breaks. Yeah, and that's very hard. I think that's very hard for most people. Yeah. It's extremely hard for most people, but mm. when you are finally there and you surrender, it has a lasting effect. Yeah. 
Meaning, meaning that you feel you can be more open in the future, that you can share. What, 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 when you say lasting effect, Rafa, what do you mean? When you have, when you have broken your pride, when you have surrendered to allowing somebody else to help you, right? The huge part of that is, is you can't unring that bell. Mm. Because once you've experienced it, you know what it feels like to walk that way. Mm -hmm. So humiliation comes from people and shame. Humility comes from God and love. So when, so when you are humble or you are humbled mm -hmm. in a loving way, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it lasts yeah. Uh, forever. Barry, I see why you wanted Rafa to be on this program. Yeah. yeah. Very powerful yeah. stuff. Thank you. Isn't he? going to uh, come to a close on that incredible note. For and, this and there's more to come because I know that uh, there's other things that he's going to talk about that are just as remarkable. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on Finding Hope and, um, you know, and the end to suffering. And Barry, thank you for creating this program. Thank you for being my co-host. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, Rafa, for being on. All right. Well, you're coming back next week, so we'll see you very soon. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. This episode was brought to you by the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership. Find out more about these resources at wineholds.org. Dr. Weinhold is the author or co-author of 75 books on psychology, including his latest book, Get Real, the Hazards of Living Out of Your False Self, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. Patricia Raskin is the host of the nationally recognized program, The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, and is currently heard on voiceamerica.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. New episodes of Finding Hope, The End to Suffering can be found every Wednesday. If you like the show, please leave a review and give us a rating. 